Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Thank you, Billy, and welcome to another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. Today, pleased to have along with us Harrison Pittman. He's the director of the National Agricultural Law Center, based on the campus of the University of Arkansas. They're actually a part of the Agricultural Experiment Station within the University of Arkansas uh, system. Harrison has been with the National Agricultural Law Center for a couple of decades now. Had the chance to sit down with him recently and find out what ag law is all about and all the issues that are out there that uh, can impact the ability to farm and ranch in this country. We're back with Harrison Pittman in just a few moments here on The Road to Rural Prosperity. If there's anything the past two years have taught us, it's that people don't always get along and they certainly don't always agree on everything. Now, while we can't help you with your Facebook debates, we can help with resolving many types of agriculture and environmental related issues at no cost. Oklahoma Agriculture Mediation has been helping Oklahomans resolve conflicts since 1987, and we're here to help you. And the best thing is we can do it without having to go to court. So if you have a conflict that might need some mediation, get more information at ok.gov mediation. Midwest Farm Shows is the longest-running sponsor of our daily Farm and Ranch email and operates the two best farm shows in Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City Farm Show and the Tulsa Farm Show. This spring, it's the Oklahoma City Farm Show, April 7th through 9th, 2022, at the State Fair Park. For information on the Oklahoma City Farm Show, call the show manager at 507-437-7969. Also, check out our website at oklahomafarmreport.com for details about how you can sign up for our daily farm news email. We're pleased today to be talking with Harrison Pittman, the director of the National Agricultural Law Center based out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Harrison, let's talk a little bit about some of these things you were talking with Oklahoma Farm Bureau members today. Mm -hmm. Uh, You tried to give them a little feel of what ag law is really about. It's a a wide uh, ranging scope of uh, things you're actually trying to deal with. Absolutely. Um, And that's our challenge every day, myself and the staff that we have from you know, I mentioned the folks that we have. We have we have an attorney devoted just to food safety and food labeling, another on environmental law, another just on ag finance and credit, another who focuses on ag labor and international trade and issues of that nature. Um, and But that doesn't even cover everything. You know, we still have all your, your farm programs and specific issues that come up in that. Uh, international issues. It's just a it's a fascinating area that almost it it almost has no boundaries and it's as complex as the industry itself. It's really fascinating. It seems that we uh, you know as we you know look at all the issues going on today. Uh, you you mentioned that that kind of that give and take of litigation versus regulation and the intertwining of those two concepts. It seems like we're, we're constantly uh, almost playing defense in a lot of these areas. Yeah. You know, the metaphor, I, I may have used it today, but I often use this that, you know, oftentimes agriculture as an industry ends up being kind of the mule in a hailstorm. They can't quite get out of it. Um, and, uh, you know, there are... Uh, numbers of, of, of legal challenges, for example, that really are like, even even when they don't ultimately succeed, they're still a big deal. You know, 
some example like the, the Des Moines Waterworks case out of Iowa a few just recent years. That was really, you know, uh, a challenge to how agriculture is regulated under the Clean Water Act. Um, if it wasn't successful ultimately, but had it been, that would have been a major event in ag. But you have others like the, uh, you know, the challenge to, uh, you know, gly- or the listing of the monarch butterfly, the attempt to list the monarch butterfly. That's really an issue about glyphosate. Uh, you know, the monarch butterfly is the species that's targeted, but the technology that's really at issue is is, is glyphosate. Um, and uh, and so there's a lot of these issues that play out at different speeds. And, uh, you know, and oftentimes I mentioned, you know, ag as an industry is so diverse and complicated. You know, there'd be issues that are playing out, say, for example, with the beef checkoff in a court system. They may have a, those issues could have an impact on the other checkoff programs. You know, it's hard for people to see those potential connections, but but that's part of it. Yeah. You know, when you when you think about the uh, uh, technology, and you, you use some of the examples of uh, the adversarial opponents of modern production agriculture are well funded. They've they've gone kind of you know they've they've argued a lot of these different cases. We're seeing the results of a lot of their some of their success. I would say they're they're creative. I would you know uh, say that it's a formidable opponent uh in you know into in the ag sector uh, but yeah you know, on the on the crop protection front definitely have had some success uh but you know you see i mean and you see the level of creativity that that's uh, you know, and then one specific example I mentioned today was, you know, chlorpyrifos. You know, one of the common brand name be Lorsman. Uh, but, you know, they're really reaching into that. And I know don't get too technical for the audience that didn't have the context there. But but basically challenging the, the tolerance level, that residue level that can be. That is a very creative approach, and it was successful. The most contemporary thing we got going right now is this battle regarding Enlist and Enlist Duo. And it's, you know, that now the EPA is pulling in the Endangered Species Act issue, talking about uh, uh, basically insects and on a county-by-county basis saying, oh, you can't use this product. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, in uh, 40-something counties here in, in Oklahoma, there's 11 or so in Arkansas. Uh, but, you know, the Endangered Species Act... And its role in agriculture is as profound as it already is that's not going to diminish in the years to come and you know and you know relating that back to the national agricultural law center these are you know we uh, we're in the final stages of producing a, a, a manual for the endangered species or a, sort of a producers and landowners guide to understanding that uh, so it's written for attorneys and non-attorneys uh, alike that are impacted by these issues but it's a comprehensive publication and you, you alluded to the fact that the world literally has changed when it comes to ag chemicals, crop protection chemicals, however you want to call it. It absolutely has changed. And I, I think that's true across the board. Uh, but, you know, look at the seed technology, uh, you know, um, you know where you from Roundup Ready to Dicamba Resistant, where you have, you know, and those are two different sort of regulatory patterns. You have one, the, the spray is one and the, the seed's another. Uh, and... Um, but that world has just dramatically changed. But that that's particularly true there. But throughout the ag industry, it's just dramatic changes have occurred just over the time that I've really been in, in the ballgame, so to speak, in the last 20 years. 
And you go back further than 20 years, actually, to get to the origins of the Clean Water Act and the continued battle with WOTUS. It's going back to the Supreme Court. That's exactly right. You know, the, really, the issue going back to the United States Supreme Court has its core origins in 1972. And there was a lot happening in the country at that time. That was the uh, enactment of the, the federal pesticide law, uh, the cl- amendments to the Clean Water Act. You had other uh, Superfund law and the like, uh, creation of the Environmental Protection Agency during that time. Um, and uh, but waters of the United States in particular, you know, that has been a an issue that has ping ponged back and forth within EPA uh, over the years, and been landmark Supreme Court decisions. And it looks like we could possibly see another one. Well, we're going to see a decision. We'll see what, what the nature of it is and whether it's going to be considered landmark or not. You said, you know, the question is, will they do a real narrow decision or will they do some more a more sweeping uh, uh, proc- proclamation? Yeah. So, you know, that my it's, you know, you can it's hard to predict, you know, if you knew what the guys and gals in the black robes were going to do, I'd probably (laughs) be on a beach somewhere. But uh, but it's also it's not so easy to predict. But my my intuition, what I suspect is that they would not have taken the case up to start with, because most cases don't get taken up by the Supreme Court when parties ask them to do that. They had a broader reason in mind. That's my my feeling. And I just imagine that they there has to be an element in here of of whatever the ruling is, uh, they they would like for this to have enough clarity that to provide. Because, you know, we watch it on our television sets and, you know, as ordinary citizens, we see Supreme Court decisions through our own prism. But, you know, they also, they have a real obligation in in administering the court system. You know, that is, that's something that gets lost in, in, you know, in our 24-7 news cycle that, you know, they do have a real function in, in guiding the lower courts as to what is the law in, in, of the land. And so issues like this, they have to have some sympathy uh, for the lower courts to, that struggle with this and uh, parties that uh, are impacted in, in various ways. Uh, and that, So I have a feeling that ultimately they're going to have some swing at some more clarity in this area, uh, particularly just to help with judicial efficiency. One last thing. You didn't mention this today, but I know a lot of guys are very passionate about it. Right to repair. Oh man, yeah. There was, you know, for a presentation like this, it's uh, it's it's what to leave out, you know. So, but that's a huge one. Uh, yeah, and that, you know, I would put that kind of at the top of, of issues in ag because, uh, you know, you have. You know, you have traditional allies here in ag, you know, in the big, you know, for example, John Deere and the producer community. And, you know, this is a tough one for them to resolve. You know, they've worked on it, made a lot of progress. Uh, you know, we've seen a new proposal uh, to on the right to repair. Uh, and, and we've seen them pop up as proposals anyway a couple of times at the state level. There was one that popped up in Arkansas. And uh, to put that in context, if a state had passed a law like what was proposed in Arkansas, it would effectively become a national standard on that. It would impact everybody, uh, and so um, it's a that is a, a, a huge area. And you're right; I didn't mention that. It certainly would have fit today, um, but you know, I think you know a lot of. And I should add, 
we're now seeing a lot of legal challenges there. You know, produce and there's uh, there's there's more than I know about. I know there's two or three that have been filed, and I think there's more than that uh, in different parts of the country. Uh, and they're and they're challenge. It's it's producers who are challenging some aspect on the right to repair front, and ultimately what they're wanting to gain is uh, more autonomy over uh, being able to repair their own equipment and, and and not be as dependent as they feel currently uh, in in the approach it's taken. So any feel on how, you know, is that is that going to be because you've got so many individuals versus a few companies or is, you know, the, the populace going to kind of prevail there or what? Great question. I really don't know. I really don't know. And, you know, uh, I had uh, when the first case was filed, it was a friend who's a farmer sent me the link via text message and just, you know, it's like, effectively asking who's going to win you know i don't know yet and i said i told him i said i need to get some time and i'll, I'll actually read the complaint but i said it's going to be a, a twist and turns type thing it won't be fast but uh and um but uh i, I don't have a feel for uh this you know whether they're successful how they you know is i just don't have a feel for that yet you, yes, you were asked by the uh, one person, person in the audience about Prop, Prop 12. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's another one of these deals that you've got a state effectively dictating nationally policy. Huh? Yeah. Um, you know, and there it's in the animal welfare front. And, and you know, and California was not the first state. They just were they're the biggest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they make a move like that, it makes a big difference. It really can shape part of the industry, a big part of the industry. Uh, and... Um, so, you know, it remains to be seen exactly how it's going to play out. I know that uh, it's been paused. I know there's an effort to get the Supreme Court to, to take that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, we'll just see. But, you know, yeah, I mentioned that particular issue that, that I was mentioning animal welfare as an example of consumer influence. Mm-hmm. And just as you look at trends in the ag industry and where legal challenges, policy challenges will remain or be, that consumer influence as it relates to animal welfare is just one of several examples. Mm-hmm. And so regardless, really, of what happens in, in ultimately in states like California, that base of the pyramid, if you will, that inertia that drove that in the first place, I don't think it evaporates. Mm-hmm. I think it's there um, for a long time. Uh, and, uh, and you, you know, we mentioned that Prop 12, but, you know, there's the... Um, uh, farm protection laws, you know, uh, that... Where people either some laws are trying to prohibit people from being able to sneak onto farms and, and take pictures, and others are, are trying to prohibit it, uh, and some trying to force it, and some trying to prohibit it. But those issues are going to keep coming up, and it's just a you know reflecting on uh, when I mentioned sort of looking back in two thousand one. I never like I never would have dreamed, you know, when I was thinking of back then, what is agricultural law, and I never would have thought we'd be talking about people slipping into somebody's operation, taking pictures, and and the First Amendment of the Constitution being a, a key issue as to whether that's allowed or not. It's, um, you know, just think, <laughs> you know, you think about farming and it, but and everything that's around it, and you you have these major issues like First Amendment of the Constitution. Uh, and uh, it's just, uh, it's a wild, wild thing in and of itself, and there's so many other issues like it. Uh, I'm blessed to, uh, to be able to work in that, and as you could see when I mentioned the staff we've had, you know, it used to be that the, I mentioned the two senior staff attorneys, Elizabeth Rumley and Rusty Rumley, and myself, we were all generalists. 
these issues would come up, and we'd say, well, okay, I don't have time to tackle it, so somebody else would tackle it. And then we got to where we had to kind of carve out space, and then one day we looked up and said, we got to figure out how to structure with people who are focused just on environmental law. This thing's eating us alive. We can't get to anything else. Mm-hmm. And then it's the same thing with the food safety and food labeling, same thing with ag finance and credit. You know, some of the issues that, you know, of course, we were kind of scratching the surface here today, but we were talking about carbon, you know, think about crypto assets. You know, think about, you know, how will those be regulated and how will that impact uh, carbon markets? And, and that have they are tied like a rope around agricultural land. They are as a direct line. Mm-hmm. Everybody recognizes that. Uh, in this carbon space that agriculture and forestry, and I consider forestry part of ag, but, uh, but that nuance kind of helps to, to point out, it, they are a necessary component. Like you can't, you cannot obtain the gains that uh, you want to obtain on, on uh, carbon emissions or reducing them without working in the ag, with the ag sector. Um, and you just look at the world population growing uh, and the already need to become more and more efficient on our farmland to produce more for more people with less resources to reduce the water uh, that's needed and, uh, and to maintain fertility of the soil and productivity. It's an astounding challenge. And you add on top of that this world of solar and wind and carbon uh, in addition to your traditional production we're asking a lot from uh, from our farmland. Right. We're asking a whole lot from our rural parts of the country, especially. And, and you, you said to producers here today, be careful. Don't don't get in a hurry to sign on the dotted line on a carbon deal. Yeah, and I would say that too about any contract. You know, people. You know, once you sign it, it's a different world. You know, than before you signed it. Uh, and definitely on carbon. But you know, I definitely would. Uh, you know, you look before you leap, use common sense, uh, and, you know, where you can, you absolutely should visit with an attorney. And I would say the same thing, not just about carbon, but, you know, solar leases and wind leases and uh, and the like. Uh, you know, those are, they can be pretty technical, and, and, you know, context defines a lot of things, and it helps to visit with people who have experience both in the law and in that aspect of the industry. Thanks, Harrison. Harrison Pittman, the director of the National Agricultural Law Center, traveling with us down the road to rural prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and OklahomaFarmReport.com. Proud to be a part of the family of the Funk Companies.